Sing sweet potting gas. Sing sweet potting gas. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry. I, I, uh, <clears throat> oh, of all the songs you could have picked, what I meant to say was. Sing sweet potting cast. Sing sweet potting cast. <laughs> That's what I meant to say. Oh, okay. I think it's a Drizella stuck in my throat. <laughs> Doesn't Drizella just sound like a COVID symptom? It like, does. I, my doctors had to remove a Drizella. That was, <laughs> that was disgusting. Yeah. That's nasty. <laughs> Definitely. So you're saying of all the songs. Of all the songs. I actually, of course, I, I speculate, you know, which sure. song you're likely to pick. And your dad, who is also very good at just taking songs and making up lyrics, was coming up with some ideas. But sure. we didn't think of them. It was not one of the ones we picked. To <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. It just, I, I thought about doing the work song briefly, but yeah. I, I was like, eh, this doesn't fit. And you know what's funnier? <laughs> Trezella. <laughs> it was a good one. Uh, Let's, hey. Let's pod sweet casting. I pod sweet casting gale. That's what I should have said. All right, let's pod sweet casting gale. Now. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Me, Mom, and the Mouse, a podcast about the joy of watching cartoons with your family. We're watching every film in the Disney animated canon and talking about how it was made, what it means, and why we love it or don't. My name is Isaac Coleman, and I'm joined as always by my mother, Rue Coleman. Hello, Isaac. We're in a good mood today because we are starting the Silver Era. Yay! New decade, new era. That's right. This is 1950s Cinderella, of course, is the movie that we are discussing today. A movie that uh, is perhaps a little more prominent than, you know, the last (laughs) seven films we've covered. (laughs) If you're just joining us, we are indeed going through the entire Disney anime canon, so we just survived the war era. We did. We survived the war. All the package films, we did survive the war. And uh, yes, in fact, I I believe we deserve valor, (laughs) equal to the people who fought in World War II. Yeah, uh, because like we watched we watched Bongo. It's <laughs> equally, you know, difficult and stressful. And second of all, it was for an equally good cause. <laughs> right. Uh, I think I think we can all agree about that. So the Silver Era is so called because it is the next era of good movies after mm-hmm. the Golden Era. Yes. And you might think, you know, silver is is less than gold. But it's actually just named that because it's the second era. A lot of people would argue that the Silver Era films are better than the Golden Era films. Mm -hmm. In fact, you know, just looking at the list here, I think I would argue that. (laughs) This might be the best era of Disney. It doesn't have, you know, some of my personal favorite films, but just like the next eight movies we're talking about cinderella alice in wonderland peter pan lady in the tramp sleeping beauty 101 dalmatians sword in the stone jungle book i don't know that any of the other eras we're talking about are that consistent true they're all enjoyable they're all good they're not all great but they are all worth watching i think even you know the disney renaissance that's kind of the contender i think in most people's minds for best era but even still, you got like you 
you got some stuff in there. Yeah, you, you, yeah. You got Pocahontas sitting in the middle of that, like a big lead weight. It's true. I don't think there are any other eras besides the Silver Era where I would watch and rewatch all the movies in it over and over. Mm-hmm. Some of the other eras, I would watch some of the movies over and over. Like, there are certain ones that I love, as you say. But yes. every single movie in the Silver Era, I think, is worth it. <laughs> yes, I agree. So Cinderella specifically... What does this movie mean to you? I think this is one of the first movies that my grandma gave us on VHS when I was a kid. I was looking at when it was released on VHS. It was 1988. So that's probably about the right time when my grandma first started sending us the Disney VHS movies for Christmas, one a year. And so I've actually seen Cinderella many times. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I like it quite a bit. I don't feel like I have a personal relationship with this movie per se, but I mean, I have seen it a thousand times, you know, like any Disney fan. (laughs) Certainly grew up with it. I have distinct memories of watching it at your grandmother's house, you know, great grandma bus. Yep. Uh, Have distinct memories of watching it in our own home. Mm -hmm. It's never been one of my favorites. Uh And watching it this time, it still isn't one of my favorites, although I did like it more. (laughs) Partially, I think, because of the context and partially because, like, it's a movie! Yeah. Bongo is nowhere to be found! (laughs) It is a single long story. It had a budget! (laughs) I do have some problems with it, but, like, undeniably, this is a good film. Agreed. It's so obvious why this film, like, (laughs) single-handedly saved (laughs) Disney Studios. Like, I really think if Cinderella had not been the massive hit that it was like that's the end of the disney animated i know uh, canon right there yeah so i'm really glad it it succeeded (laughs) yes this movie is sort of almost a weird trilogy with snow white and the seven dwarfs cinderella and sleeping beauty it's true the three princess movies walt himself you know that were made while he was alive Uh uh-huh obviously not the only princess movies, that share a lot of DNA. They do. They have so many elements in common, and I hadn't ever really paid attention to just how many until we were watching them for this podcast. Yes, I I absolutely agree. And Sleeping Beauty, I think, is the consensus best one. It's definitely our favorite. Yeah, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Gotta keep working that princess movie till you get it perfect. That's right. I gotta say, me personally, I would put Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs above this one. I think Cinderella is the weakest of the quote-unquote trilogy for me. Yeah. That's just my opinion. I still like Maybe. it. Uh, the thing is, there's there's stuff that's great in Snow White that's better than this, but I think there's also stuff in this that's better than Snow White. I would have a hard time picking one above the other. That's fair. As a heroine, I think that Cinderella is better than Snow White because Snow White is so passive. I absolutely agree. But, I mean, the dwarfs are also extremely funny. That's part of it is I like the dwarfs way better than the mice. And I really like the villain of Snow White. I like its abstract. I like its horror influences. It's true. It has those interesting horror influences that you don't get at all in Cinderella. Right. It's more weird and kind of messy. And Mm -hmm. I always have an affection for that kind of movie. Again, I am not here to dump on Cinderella. Oh, for sure. A very good film. That absolutely holds up. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the history of this thing. Now there is, I mean, as opposed to the wartime era where it's like, I must, you know, scrape every (laughs) piece of trivia we can find for this section. 
There's a ton of trivia for Cinderella. Yeah, I mean, there's, like, whole histories of this movie have been written. So, again, you know, as always, Mm -hmm. not a history podcast. We like to give some context. We like to talk about some of the most interesting stuff. We can't cover all of it. No, for sure Uh, And Mom, of course, if I don't hit something that that you want to talk about, obviously, you can can bring it up. Mm -hmm. So, Disney had touched the Cinderella story, obviously, very famous fairy tale. Mm Mm-hmm. That there have been a million adaptations of outside of Disney and like, what if we Mm -hmm. did it this way? What if we did it with this twist? What if, you know, Ella Enchanted or, I mean, uh, side note, how many versions of the Cinderella story, including stuff like Ella Enchanted, where it's like a skewed version or a modern adaptation or whatever, do you think you own in your home? Oh my goodness. (laughs) I feel like it it could be more than three dozen. <laughs> it could be. If you especially if you don't count ones I own, but just ones books I've read and movies I've seen, I would say probably at least fifty different versions. Right. And many of them very good. Oh yeah. I mean it's it's a very pliable story and it's a story that obviously still resonates today very strongly with a lot of people one nice thing about fairy tales is you can tell them and retell them and just tweak elements to bring out different things and you can have the same story bones and build so many different things on it yeah i mean i've been reading uh recently in in the ongoing quarantine that is our lives now (laughs) i've been reading and collecting the fables comic book series which is really enjoyable if slightly problematic Mm -hmm. not for kids by the way unlike our podcast and like uh, it's about you know fairy tale characters have to move to new york basically and live in the real world and keep their existence a secret and that has like really interesting takes on the cinderella character you know Mm -hmm. yeah so like i just happened to be reading another version of cinderella when we were watching cinderella (laughs) that's funny but disney himself had uh there had been a cinderella before in 1922 pre-mickey mouse Mm -hmm. when he was working at laughogram didn't really have his own studio. Walt made a Cinderella cartoon. Okay. And they wanted to make it a silly symphony short. And that's kind of where this this movie started because they were like, maybe this should be a feature film instead of a short. So, you know, they worked on this movie basically from 1933 to 1949 in some form or another. <laughs> it's a long time. Yeah. <laughs> there were several different treatments written don't necessarily need to go through all of them. 43 is when Walt is like, instead of this just being something we're kicking around the studio as an idea, let's actually like put it to work. He gave two of his writers a million dollars to like write the first story treatment, but then they stopped because of the war. Mm-hmm. Then it was given to the Song of the South writers, uh, one of them, Maurice Rapp. And again, I don't want to go through all the different versions and like all the changes in them. There were so many. Oh, I'm sure. But Rapp's version sounds really interesting um, and ties into what you were talking about. In his version, Cinderella was written to be a less passive character than Snow White and more rebellious against her stepfamily. Mm-hmm. Rapp explained, My thinking was you can't have somebody who comes in and changes everything for you. You can't be delivered it on a platter. You've got to earn it. So in my version, the fairy godmother said, it's okay until midnight, but from then on, it's up to you. I made her earn it, and what she had to do to achieve it was to rebel against her stepmother and stepsisters, to stop being a slave in her own home. 
I had a scene where they're ordering her around and she throws the stuff back at them. She revolts, so they lock her up in the attic. I don't think anyone took my idea very seriously. <laughs> but imagine if they had. <laughs> exactly. I love his take. Yeah. That is why I have never personally connected that much with the Cinderella story. Mm -hmm. I understand that it is this fantasy of like, what if somebody could whisk you away and, you know, and, and like solve all your problems. And to be fair, one of my favorite archetypal stories and I'm not making a joke here, <laughs> the original Star Wars is mm -hmm. kind of the same thing, right? Like yeah. a, a magic guy shows up and he's like, time for you to be awesome. Mm -hmm. Leave your suck life. <laughs> so, you know, I, I totally get it. But I think what's interesting about his version, not only I would kind of prefer that version <laughs> yeah. personally, but also I do think a lot of that DNA makes it into the movie. I think so. I think some of it does. Now, ultimately, the mice kind of are the ones who save the day, <laughs> yeah. which is a, a little weird, and we'll get to that. But she is, as you were talking about, a more sort of rebellious character. She has more agency. She's more of a character than right. Snow White. Right. Um, there is still the after 12 mm -hmm. idea and the, uh, the being locked up. Yeah. Apparently, I don't know, Walt or somebody just decided that, nope, a male mouse is more competent than a human woman. Yeah, I guess. Gotta be saved by a male. So, 46 is when they start yet another treatment and several story meetings. By 47, they were starting storyboards. And this is where the bank is, like, threatening to close the studio. <laughs> and Disney's basically going to the bank and he's like, look... We have to make a full-length feature film. Like, if we can make one and release it, yeah. it will save us. I'll release whatever in the meantime <laughs> to keep the debt down. But we have to get this out. And yeah. uh, we talked about this. Mm -hmm. See our previous wartime era episodes. But that's fun and fancy free and Melody Time and Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Yes. Is, you know, just release anything while he put the A-team on Cinderella. Mm-hmm. Now, at this time, Cinderella, Alice in Wonderland, and Peter Pan were all somewhat in development. Yeah, I read that Alice in Wonderland and Cinderella were getting, were close to being finished around the same time, and they, they kind of put it to a race. Whichever Correct. finishes first gets released first, <laughs> and Cinderella Correct. won. Uh, specifically, what it was is here in 47, it was like, who can finish pre-production first? Yeah. And it was 48, Cinderella had progressed further, so they basically just put everybody on Cinderella and then put them back on Alice in Wonderland, is my understanding. Mm -hmm. But Cinderella was always like, despite the whole race thing, which I think, you know, was to motivate the workers, oh, of course. Cinderella was always his favorite. And mm -hmm. he put who he saw as the best animators and the best directors on the case, and he was like... This is like Snow White. Snow White was our big hit. Yeah. Remember that at this point, I think, was Snow White like the only hit? Because didn't Pinocchio also not do that well? I think Dumbo did really well. That's Dumbo, I think, is the only other one that really made a good deal of money. <laughs> right. And even still, it mostly did really well relative to its budget. It Correct. certainly did not make Snow White or Cinderella money. No, but it cost so much less. Correct. 
Now, Walt himself, it's interesting, we talked about this a little bit last week, he was not as involved with the movies during this time. Uh, He was working on the live-action Treasure Island. He also went on this big trip to England. Yeah. So he, in in like 48 and 49, this movie, the directors, uh, Hamilton Luska, Wilfred Jackson, and Clyde Geronimi, who I forgot to say up top, whoops, (laughs) they had a lot more control on this movie. Uh, And, of course, they finished it in 49, and they released it in 50, and it was a huge critical and commercial success. Yeah. Critics absolutely loved it. They they said it was either the best or the best since Snow White, Mm -hmm. you know, um, which is interesting because now a lot of critics would say, like, Bambi is the best one in there, but we talked about it at the time, people didn't like Bambi. Some more interesting stuff. Uh, obviously, the casting. This movie has an amazing cast. Oh, agreed. And some of the cast we will hear through many of our next movies. Correct. Uh, and a cast that got away from the Disney stable. Mm-hmm. Like, the past, the wartime movies we've been watching, it's been, like, a lot of the same voice actors over and over. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, obviously, like, Pinto Kolvig is great. Yeah. Sterling Holloway's great, etc. Et but... This does kind of get away from them. There were several big singers at the time who were considered for the part of Cinderella, but the winner was Eileen Woods, who had her own radio show, which was just 15 minutes long. And it was just 15 minutes of music broadcast three days per week. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was not very well known. She'd only been in one other movie in a in a non-part, basically. But... There were a lot of songwriters who helped out with her show, two of which were the songwriters for this movie. Uh-huh. Mac David and Jerry Livingston. Uh-huh. So they, you know, they were writing these songs and they were like, hey, Eileen, can you come in and record the demos for these? Uh-huh. And she did. And they were like, you know what? You, you are Cinderella. <laughs> Supposedly, Walt himself heard the demos, was like, this is the one. Yeah. And offered her the role. But 300 other people had auditioned. And again, some of them were very prominent. (laughs) Verna Felton is another, like, very notable voice actor from the time who is the fairy godmother. Yep. Uh, She would go on to be in other Disney movies as well, including Sleeping Beauty, where she is... uh... She's Flora. (laughs) I actually recognized her voice while we were watching Cinderella. And she also is, like, she's in the Flintstones, which came out. 12 years after this but like she she's this is not very nice but she's like a lot of kind of little old ladies in movies she was also the mm-hmm. elephant matriarch and mrs jumbo mm-hmm. in dumbo so yeah we've talked about her before she was great there she's great here eleanor oddly was brought on to be lady tremaine yes and i recognized her voice as well as maleficent from sleeping beauty right. <laughs> so she plays i mean two of the best villains mm-hmm. in disney like mm-hmm. full stop yeah And both of those characters are sort of patterned off of her face. I don't know if this is true for Sleeping Beauty, because we haven't done the research for that yet. But I know in this movie, she actually provided the live-action reference as well. Uh Uh-huh. Which brings us to another point about the production of this movie that's interesting. (laughs) Disney always used references. Always, Mm -hmm. for like all of their movies. But this movie was 90% live-action references before animation. <laughs> That's so much. <laughs> because they knew that they wouldn't really be able to afford a lot of like 
quote unquote takes, you know? Yeah. They wouldn't be able to like redo a lot of the art. This movie looks great and they put Mm -hmm. a lot of money into it, but it's like, we can only draw every scene once. (laughs) So, so we want to nail it down with live action. And then a lot of it is traced and like rotoscoped, Mm -hmm. which some people complain about with this movie. I don't think it's a problem, but it is a fact. Yeah. I don't think it's, I don't think it looks really bad or anything. Um, but even stuff like the carriage, they, uh, the, the pumpkin carriage, uh, obviously they couldn't have a live action pumpkin carriage <laughs> or even a live action carriage, but they built like a small model of it <laughs> That's funny. and made it move in live action. And this is where uh, another person who will be important throughout the silver era, uh, Helene Stanley was the live-action model for Cinderella. She would also be the live-action model for the Princess Aurora and Anita Radcliffe in 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> she is a very important part of Disney history as well. Yeah. And she, you know, gets her start here. June Foray is a voice actor who did a lot of things. She was Granny in the Warner Brothers cartoons. She was Rocky of And Bullwinkle fame. <laughs> yeah. She was Cindy Lou Who. She was Grammy Gummy much later (laughs) in Disney. She was Magica Dispel. Yeah. And a studio representative got in touch with her and asked, hey, can you be the voice of a cat? (laughs) And apparently she replied, I can do anything. Yay. And she's the voice of Lucifer the cat. (laughs) The voice of meaning the cat sounds of. (laughs) Well, yes. (laughs) But still, I mean, you know, that's. It's a very impressive skill. It's true. This movie had just like all of these amazing women working on it who Mm -hmm. obviously didn't get much recognition at the time. Eileen Woods, in fact, would later join up with Peggy Lee, lady from Lady and the Tramp, and uh, Mary Costa, Aurora, to file lawsuits against Disney because they weren't getting royalties for home video releases. Ah. Because obviously this is not something they were going to negotiate in 1950. Yeah, because that's not a thing that existed. (laughs) But they were all still alive and they would like some money for the work they did. True. They were entitled to it and good for them. And by all accounts, all these people pretty much loved like working on this movie. (laughs) Good. This is also the movie where we get the nine old men. Mm Mm-hmm. So this is the very famous group of animators who formed Walt Disney's Animation Board, which is basically the management of the animation department. And they were Les Clark, Mark Davis, Ollie Johnston, Milt Call, Ward Kimball, Eric Larson, John Lounsbury, Frank Thomas, and Wolfgang Reitherman. And uh, these are very, very famous, you know, figures in Disney history, the Nine Old Men. Mm -hmm. We've mentioned some of these people before, but this is where, like... They get that name and they are <laughs> yeah. kind of, they're kind of running the show from this point forward. Yeah, even though they weren't very old at the time. Yes, that, that, it was actually a joke name at the time, but, you know, then later on, <laughs> it was just a, it was just an accurate description. <laughs> right. I'm sorry, I'm jumping all over the place, but there's, again, so much to talk about. <laughs> Another earlier draft that kind of interests me is that there was going to be a lot more Prince stuff in almost every version of the screenplay except the one they used. (laughs) There is going to be characterization of him. There was apparently a scene where the prince was shown hunting a deer. Yeah. Or you were going to think he was hunting a deer, but then actually the prince and the deer are friends and they're just (laughs) playing a game. (laughs) So, like, he's friends with the deer, she's friends with the mice. Right, right. They have more in common. 
exactly. <laughs> they have any personality. Yeah, it, it, it kind of would have been nice to have more. I mean, he doesn't even have a name, poor guy. Yeah, there was also a scene at the end of the movie where Cinderella would actually go back to meet the prince at the palace after, you know, trying on the slipper. Yeah. And he'd be like, it's a servant girl. And he <laughs> would have this kind of brief crisis of like, I can't marry a servant girl. But then he realizes, no, I'm in love. We are doing this. <laughs> Which uh, Walt, again, supposedly, I would say supposedly because Walt took credit for a lot of stuff. Supposedly, mm. Walt was the person who... Uh, wanted that cut because it made the ending too long. You know, you were taking too long to get to the payoff people actually wanted, which Mm -hmm. I agree with. Yeah, yeah, that seems like it would fit oddly. Yeah, what's the slipper fits? Let's not, let's not waste any time. (laughs) But, bizarrely, (laughs) this scene would actually be reincorporated into one of the Kingdom Hearts games. They would oh, actually fully weird. animate this scene and put it in Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep. Okay. Okay, indeed. <laughs> uh, the music for this movie is obviously very good. Mm-hmm. The main thing that I want to note about it is that they hired more contemporary songwriters and yeah. Walt was looking for more contemporary music, which would kind of continues throughout this silver era. They're moving away from the more classical feel, although, of course, you know, Sleeping Beauty, though. <laughs> yeah, but it, the songs are still memorable and singable. Oh, yeah. And it's a good balance. Like, this movie doesn't feel like Make Mine Music, which I enjoy, but which mm-hmm. is just, you know, look at the contemporary music or melody time. Yeah. this It's a good balance of feeling a little more quote-unquote modern, you know, 1950s modern. Right, right, right. But still having kind of that magical, you know, feel, feeling a little more classical in that sense, mm-hmm. feeling like it fits a, a fairy tale. Yeah. And then I don't have too much else to say about it except the home video release and the restoration. Did you want to say anything else about the production of this movie? I don't think so. I think you covered most of the main points. <laughs> so... This movie has been released in, you know, all of the formats. Oh, of course. And the Blu-ray version is terrible. (laughs) And we both watch this movie on Disney Plus, as we always do, just because the group watch makes it easy to sync up when you're watching virtually. And it uses the Blu-ray version as well. And it's very bad. So the thing is, the way that Disney does restorations of its movies, basically post-2000. You have to understand, you know, film restoration, right? Like, there are a lot of different approaches. There's, like, the Criterion approach. Um, I'm a literally (laughs) card-carrying Criterion fan because I have a metal card for being one of the first Criterion channel subscribers. They try to preserve the film as much as possible and just, like, increase the resolution of it. Mm -hmm. Which you can do with film because film can be projected to any size. So uh, a movie that was shot on film can be put in 1080p or in 4K or, you know, 8K. It, it goes on infinitely, basically, if you, you know, properly just project it to that size. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not an expert here, but what Disney does is actually redraws the film. Their hmm. process of restoration is they get animators to rotoscope, which is like tracing over the character animation in flash they take it out of the original scene they draw new backgrounds and they paste it back into the scene interesting 
So if you are watching the Blu-ray or Disney Plus versions of this movie, you aren't seeing any of the actual original film or original drawings. You're seeing approximations of them. You're seeing them traced. They have the same timing, but it's literally not. You're just not seeing it. (laughs) None of the original film is there. Rather than just like making it bigger, cleaning it up, making it into a format where it can be presented on, you know, a 4K or a a 2K television, which is what Blu-rays are, their 2K definition. Mm -hmm. Most streaming is much less than that, (laughs) you know, they'll tell you it's 4K, but it's it's not because that's not how streaming works and the bit rate is bad. But now we're getting very nerdy. (laughs) The The point is, Disney doesn't want their movies to show any of the like film grain or any of the weave. Signs of aging. (laughs) Exactly. Any signs of aging whatsoever, which is dumb. (laughs) It's dumb. And it looks really bad. And it's... I didn't realize at first, although it doesn't really surprise me, how much of a running theme this would be through this podcast is (laughs) Disney doesn't care about preservation even of their own movies. Like, they're actively hostile to the (laughs) idea that you should get to watch any of their films, like, in their original state. Interesting. They want it to look like a modern movie that's, like, animated in Flash or whatever. And... It really looks terrible. I mean, you can look up, it's it's hard to describe verbally, but you can just, you know, type into Google, like, Disney Cinderella Blu-ray restoration or something, and you can see comparisons that show all of the line work is missing in a lot of scenes, the colors are wrong, they literally changed her dress color from white slash silver in the original movie to blue to match the blue merchandise that yeah. they sell. I didn't think it looked terribly blue when we were watching it, but yeah, it's not good. And you see here, like, you know, in this image I've just showed you, like, the prince's arm and Cinderella's arm and part of her dress are all the same color, so it blurs yeah. into each other and it's impossible to see. You know, here's the original prince looking like a human. Here's a restored <laughs> version of the prince looking like a frog. <laughs> it just, it's... It's really bad, and it was really noticeable while watching it. Because here's the thing. They do this for all of their movies. And as much as I am a film nerd, and obviously a Disney nerd, I can't claim to always see it. Especially because, you know, I don't have perfect memories of the VHSs I watched as a kid. Oh, for (laughs) sure. So they do this also in Sleeping Beauty. They do this... If you own a Blu-ray of a Disney movie, it probably went through this process. Mm Mm-hmm. But the Cinderella one is famously the worst. Yeah. The Robin Hood one is also considered pretty bad, so we'll have to take a look at that. And the Sword in the Stone one. I'll show you this horrendous screenshot from the Sword in the Stone. Oh, dear. But they even do this with, like, Beauty and the Beast, you know, which is a more recent movie. Like, they just, this is what they do now. And they've gotten at least better at, after this one came out, there was a big backlash, and they realized, okay, we can't, like, We can't do this bad of a job. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, at least if you're going to do something, you got to make it look better. If it's a restoration, it should look better than it did. Right. And not, you know, like it was traced by amateurs, which it literally was. (laughs) So the thing is, again, I can't always see this. I can't claim, you know, even the version of Snow White we watched, I found out 
went through the same process. I didn't really notice it there. Right. In this one, it's so noticeable. It looks so smooth and so <laughs> weird, and the colors are so flat and ugly. It doesn't literally look like a wartime era movie, but it looks closer to that yeah. than the Golden Age in the version we watched, just it's, because... I did notice that. In trying to scrub the grain out of it, they've scrubbed all the life out of it. <laughs> Yeah. Also, film grain is good. Like, that's an effect directors try to replicate now with digital video. Like, people <laughs> like film grain, you know? <laughs> it's, it's, it's just so misguided and so kind of depressing. Yeah. So, you know, that's what we watched, unfortunately. We have talked for a long time about the history <laughs> of this movie. Fortunately, the plot is fairly, you know, simple. Well, let's talk about the movie then. <laughs> yes, let's get into it. We have an actual mom status. That's right. Dead. Dead. <laughs> Dead immediately. Dead immediately. Dead off, screen. Dead off screen. Also, you know what else we have immediately? A book. We do have a book. They have a very lovely credit sequence and then uh, a book once again, like like those first movies. Yeah. I had actually forgotten that there is a song just called Cinderella during the opening titles. <laughs> How many times have I seen this movie and I completely forgot that song? All the other songs I can remember and sing all the words and I was like, oh, there's a song here. <laughs> it reminded it's... me of the way there's a song like on the wartime era movies where it's a song that's just the title of the movie, you know, and we're going to tell you about the movie in the song. Right. Where it'll be like, make mine music. And you're yeah. like, what? <laughs> right, right, right. But yeah, this one it's is like, never mind, we're done. Cinderella. Yep. And we're just going to tell you about her, and then we're going to watch about her. <laughs> yeah, this, but this opening, like, bringing back the book, having the lovely credits, yeah. it's so much like, hey guys, remember Snow White? <laughs> remember that movie you liked? This is like that. We're yeah. sorry. And we actually have a narrator setting the stage at the beginning, and we That's get- That's right, I forgot about that yeah, already. Yeah, yeah. We get to see Cinderella as a child with her father before he's dead. This, I forgot that you see her dad. Her yeah. dad is here. Her dad is there. And then dead. And then he thinks he needs to remarry so that Cinderella will have a mother. So he chooses a woman who has daughters around the same age as Cinderella, thinking they'll all be friends. Mm -hmm. And then he dies. And it's not until he dies that the stepmother shows her true colors. But... Even before he's dead, she's introduced, like, in shadow. Yeah. Basically, I forgot how good of a villain the stepmother is in this movie. Yeah. I had forgotten, because, you know, this movie, not exactly the strongest character work. No. Which is fine. Mm -hmm. You know, I, again, that was clearly a conscious decision by Walt throughout, was, like, make it more kind of abstract, make it more like Snow White- you know, focus more on the beautiful visuals. Mm -hmm. But the the stepmother really is quite compelling and, and scary. Yeah, they animate her very well. So you know from the beginning, this is not a good woman. <laughs> and the gorgeous oil paint backgrounds are back. And like the, the thing where even if we're just in one room, you're seeing it from multiple angles and they're drawing multiple backgrounds. Yeah. Which is something we talked about missing in the wartime era. <laughs> it is like, ah. Oh, it's like slipping into a warm bed. It's like, it's so good to be back. <laughs> yeah. The narrator does say that the reason why Cinderella must become a servant is because all the money is being spent on the stepdaughters. So they have to let the servants go and Cinderella becomes a servant. However, I thought it was very interesting that her name is just Cinderella. I was going to say this too. Usually Cinderella is 
the insult. So her name is something like Ella, and they call her Cinderella because she sits among the cinders and gets all dirty. Right. So they mock her and call her Cinderella. But no, in this one, her name is straight up just Cinderella. Right. (laughs) It's very, very interesting. I think, again, it's just like trim everything out of the story. Yeah. Like trim all the fat, rather. Right. But yeah, it's it's a very weird choice. I also, the narrator does say here something about Cinderella remained gentle and kind in the face of abuse, yeah. which is another thing I hadn't picked up on this movie as a kid, uh-huh. is that this really is, as much as Walt Disney was ever going to do this, this <laughs> is kind of a confrontation of like child abuse, you yeah. know? Not physical child abuse, but, you know, emotional, neglectful. Yeah. Which is something that Tangled will do much better and much more directly later, much later. The narrator actually saying, like, it's abuse Mm -hmm. was, I don't know. I was was surprised by that. And it (laughs) is, this is not a very nuanced or complex or even all that applicable to the real world portrayal of abuse. Yeah. But it is a theme that is here in this movie and we are portraying it as such. Mm -hmm. Um, So the birds wake her up. I I thought it was funny, one of the things I saw pointed out, the main story of this movie takes place in a little over 24 hours. That's true. I hadn't even thought about that until I saw that, but I'm like, that is so true. So here we are (laughs) starting the day, early in the morning, sun's just coming up, the birds come in to wake up Cinderella. She doesn't want to wake up because she's having a good dream. So here's the thing. We get the birds, we get the mice here. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the big like changes to the story throughout. And this is the biggest thing Disney and his team add to the story is all the animal business. Yeah. And I wanted to quote Roger Ebert here. Roger Ebert, for anyone listening who doesn't know, is, you know, one of the greatest film critics who ever will live. Mm -hmm. I can't say I agree with everything he's written, but he's one of those guys where reading his writing will make you smarter Uh and make you understand movies better, even when he's wrong. (laughs) But, like, in this, his review was really interesting to me. He loved this movie, Mm -hmm. and he talks about... The animals serve much the same function as the seven dwarfs and assorted birds and forest animals did in Snow White. They provide a chorus, moral support, additional characters to flesh out a thin story, and a kaleidoscope of movement on the screen. Hmm. When one of the little birds crept under Cinderella's pillow to awaken her in the morning, it didn't matter that I was aware of the shameless manipulation of the animators. I grinned anyway. (laughs) Using the traditional techniques of full animation, the Disney artists provided each animal with a unique flavor and personality. What they also did as Richard Schickel observed in his book, The Disney Version, was shamelessly wag the buttocks of all the animals as a way of making them seem even livelier. A Disney quadruped has its center of gravity somewhere below its navel and its pivot point right beneath the wallet. With all that action going on, no wonder they never wore pants. (laughs) Oh man, that's funny. Which is hilarious, but also... Exactly correct. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. None of them are wearing pants. They have hats, shirts, sometimes jackets also, and shoes. (laughs) Well, but also as we were watching it, we were noting like all of the, all of the butt stuff. Yes. The the butt gags. Many, many gags. And, and I, I really like this, you know, where he says a kaleidoscope of movement. That's a really good way of thinking of it. (laughs) So then we have uh, Dream is a Wish song. Yep, a dream is a wish your heart makes. 
dreams are another like motif and theme throughout this movie. Yes. And it's another thing that ties it to, as we called it, our princess trilogy. (laughs) Right. Because again, like Snow White, even more than Sleeping Beauty, this movie kind of operates on dream logic. It kind of has this dreamlike feel. Yeah, but they also have the song When You Wish Upon a Dream in Sleeping Beauty is why I was... You know. Well, yes. I mean, also, <laughs> literally, dreams are involved with all yes. of them. But this this movie, especially, like, we are living Cinderella's dream with her. And we I are. Think that, yeah. I think that's the quality that makes up for cutting out a lot of the character stuff <laughs> and a lot of the, you know, additional story. Mm-hmm. And again, Cinderella has a lot more personality than Snow White did. I think this is a truly great performance from Eileen Woods. Yeah. And she's not 100% happy all the time, which is, I think, important. When the clock strikes, she gets a little cranky. She's like, oh, that clock. Even he orders me around. I also wrote this down where she calls the clock an old killjoy. Yeah. I like it. I like that she's cranky. Yeah. As opposed to Snow White, who does seem oblivious to the fact that there are, like, forces in the world against her. (laughs) That's true. She's like, la 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 la, my stepmother also wants to kill me. Yeah. So I think uh, the song's continuing. I wrote down Birds Lifting Sponge. I don't remember why that was relevant to me. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. It is funny. The girl mice shoo the boy mice out because Cinderella's going to have a bath and get ready for her day. Um, but they do it like a shower. The The birds get the sponge wet and hold it over her and then squeeze it like a shower. Mm-hmm. And they help her get dressed. So everything she's doing is helped along by her little animal friends. So it makes her morning routine seem very smooth and easy, even though she's having to get up crack of dawn. And then after that, we really get into the mice we meet. Jock, mm-hmm. uh, who says there's a new mouse in a rat trap. And of course, here we meet Gus. And... <laughs> This is why I've never loved this movie. Honestly, I'm sorry. Hot take. The mice don't work for me. I love the mice. <laughs> the, I, I wasn't really laughing. Like the dwarfs. I don't know what it is. I truly don't. Yeah. The dwarfs I find so funny. Yeah. The mice and all the cat and mouse business, which happens several There's times throughout this movie. a lot of cat movie, and mouse business. For whatever reason, I feel kind of bored. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't but know. they just, I've never enjoyed them that much, and I kind of still don't. So that is partially why I was like reading that Ebert review. Because mm-hmm. I was like, you know, why, do, why does this work so well for him? And why does it not work for me? I don't know. I just don't find them funny. I didn't laugh. That's what it comes down to. That's funny. Uh, it's, not, it's not. That's the whole point. <laughs> Maybe it's because, I don't know. They've got the annoying high-pitched voices, and they have the very strange way of talking, Mm -hmm. which, by the way, complaining about streaming services again, because they're the worst way to watch anything. Disney Plus's captions, like, translate the mouse speech. (laughs) That's so weird. So, like, I I can't remember all the stuff that they say, but, like, you know, they they do a lot of malapropism. Well, they say Cinderella, for one thing. Stuff like that. And they say Rusify for Lucifer the cat. Right. But even they repeat words a lot, right? They'll say like cat cat yeah. instead of cat. The And the Disney Plus version, you know, like if Jock says like, Rusify is a mean old cat cat, it will translate as like, Lucifer is a mean cat. Yeah. <laughs> like they take all, everything out of it. And it's like, what is the point of view? <laughs> uh, maybe they're trying to be for little children who aren't as good at reading. I don't know. But still, it's like, it's not, you, you need to, if you're gonna put captions, it needs to say what they're actually saying. Correct. 
And this is relevant here because they meet uh, Octavius, who will be called Gus for short. That has that always amused me. Like, your name is Octavius, but for short, we'll call you Gus because that makes yes. sense. <laughs> but they teach him to say Zook Zook. <laughs> Which is interesting. It's like, this doesn't appear to be mouse naturally speak. I guess this is part of the thing for me. Maybe I'm thinking about it too much. But like, this doesn't seem to be how mice naturally speak. In fact, Gus doesn't speak at all until he is spoken to. By Jock. And like, he's naked. It's not like they all wear little mouse clothes. She's making clothes for them. She's naming them. Like, is she magically giving the mice sentience? (laughs) I don't know. You're thinking about it too much. I know I am! The funny thing is that the birds don't talk. Only the mice talk. The cat doesn't talk. The dog doesn't talk. The horse doesn't talk. The chickens and everybody else, you know, only the mice talk and Cinderella can understand them. That's, yes, that also. And there's like a clear hierarchy of sentience where the cat and the mice are absolutely sentient. Yeah. The dog like has some, the chickens have none, the oh, birds sure. have some. It's like all over. Yeah. I don't know. This is Disney though. I mean, this is the goofy Pluto thing. You just gotta flow with it, and apparently you've never been able to. <laughs> I would flow with it if I was laughing. Yeah. That's what it comes down to for whatever because like we were making jokes about how the dwarfs don't make sense, but I was laughing. Yeah. So I don't know. And I don't hate the mice. I'm not like, ugh, these things are... I'm not like some people are with Olaf, where they're like, every time he's on screen, <laughs> I wish to kill him. Right. But they're kind of neutral for me. And there's <laughs> so much of the... This is really what it is. I like just the basic Cinderella stuff more. Interesting. And this movie spends so much time on the mice, and I'm kind of like, get back to the movie. <laughs> get back to the, the Cinderella stuff. I want to know. What's she up to? That's funny, because a lot of people are like, the bland Cinderella stuff is so much better because you have the the, the mice making it interesting. <laughs> I know, and I don't know why I feel the other way, but I do. Well, and that's, that's interesting. I think, part of why I like Snow White better. Yep. So Cinderella has to get up the cat, Lucifer, whose name we've already mentioned. He's the stepmother's cat, I believe, because he's in her room. Yes. And he doesn't want to get up either, but, you know, it's orders. <laughs> Which was also something introduced in one of the early drafts. There's uh, some business with Lucifer the cat and uh, Bruno the dog. Yep. Who she tells to get rid of his dreams. I know! After singing that whole thing about dreams and at least they can't stop her dreaming... Then she has the gall to tell Bruno when he's dreaming about chasing Lucifer to stop it. (laughs) Right. She's like, the only thing that's keeping me going in my horrific captivity is that they can't take my dreams and thoughts. You, though, dog, who's also living in misery, screw you. I know. I was like, that's that's not right. (laughs) But it is funny, though, when she's trying to tell the dog... I'm sure there's something good about Lucifer. She can't think of anything. <laughs> right. She's like telling the, she's telling, you know. You gotta uh, be friends. not to be mean to Lucifer. And Lucifer's like, mm, yes, take that. And then she's like, even though he, I hate him, there's mm-hmm. nothing good about him. And then the dog's like, oh, take that. Yeah. So this is, you know, the first big bit of mice business is that uh, they want to go out and get food, but they have to get past the cat. Somebody has to be a distraction. Jock is chosen through a very rigmarole process. (laughs) They draw tails. Yep, they tangle their tails together. He grabs one. It turns out to be his own. Seems like you could not grab your own tail. Seems (laughs) like you could know which one that is. I don't know. I don't want to tell Jock how to live his life. Uh, But he is going to die. It's another 
for some reason, I, I it tickles me whenever there's a Disney scene where the vibe is. I talked about this way back on Snow White with like Dopey being sent <laughs> upstairs, where it's like, well, you're going to die now. Yep. And I love Jacques' face um, where he's like smiling, frowning. So he's trying to smile and be brave, but he keeps being like, yep. oh man, I'm going to die. <laughs> of course he doesn't. Right. He manages to distract Lucifer and get him over in the corner while the other mice run out and get corn. She's feeding everybody corn outside. Cinderella is. Mm-hmm. And then when they're coming back with the corn, Gus is carrying too much. Right. She's not very considerate. You'd think she would give the mice corn or help them get pet. She would know the cat would be a problem. She's right. like, I will give you the sentience to know you are doomed, but no more. <laughs> I mean, she could have put a pile of corn right by one of the mouse holes before she went outside. Exactly. Super easy. Let me get a corn door dash, please, Cinderella. <laughs> exactly. But I guess they thought, you know, this is this is more fun. So Gus, of course, ends up attracting Lucifer's attention. Right, because he's the fat one. He so is. So he gets, he stacks up all the corn, like, you know, when you're trying to take in all the groceries <laughs> at once. Yep, and he can't hold on to him. So he ends up having to run and hide on the table underneath one of the teacups. And then we have all kinds of funny business with the cups because Cinderella is trying to get the breakfast trays ready for her stepmother and stepsisters and using the cup. So he, the cup keeps moving around that Gus is hiding in and Lucifer, every time he tries to get him, can't quite do it. Right. And while she's bringing up the breakfast, she's walking up the stairs. Yep. She loses a slipper. She does. She has trouble with her shoes on stairs. <laughs> Established needs... early in the movie. <laughs> I need someone to invent laces already. <laughs> right. Maybe one foot is smaller than the other. I don't know. I don't know. Look, I, I, let me see. Let me retrace my steps. Okay. Number one, I don't put on socks. Number two, <laughs> I let my feet sit in melted butter all night. <laughs> and then I put on my shoes. I don't know. This all seems normal. Yeah. Cinderella is very good at balancing and carrying things, though, because she's got one tray in each hand and one on her head. She takes the first tray into Drizella, who is actually the oldest stepsister, who gives Cinderella ironing in exchange for her tray of breakfast. So now she's carrying two trays and a bunch of ironing. I like this device where we don't see... I mean, we've kind of seen them already, but we don't see the sisters It's true, the we don't see them immediately. We just hear them. It, again, it's just these really good, interesting visual ideas of like, you know, let's introduce these characters by having her walk in and out of the rooms and we just hear their voices. Yeah. And it pays off with a good joke when, ah, Drizella's scared because there's a mouse. Yep, she takes the second tray to Anastasia, who gives her men- the mending... And the third tray goes to the stepmother who gives her the laundry. And so she's carrying all these things. And then I thought it was Anastasia's tray that had Gus. It doesn't matter. They're pretty interchangeable. Even though they look different and have different names, I still have a hard time remembering which is which. Well, Drizella's the green one. Anastasia's the pink one. I remember (laughs) this because of something we'll talk about in sequels, uh, spinoffs. Okay. Gus is found under the teacup. They shriek, they run to the stepmother and tell on her. And so then, of course, Cinderella is called into the stepmother's room and we see her for the first time. And she's straight up a Bond villain, which is <laughs> genuinely great. I love when the visuals go over the top. This is a Disney movie. You're not going to be subtle. Mm-hmm. Be as unsubtle as possible. Yeah. She's in shadow. You can like only really see her eyes. She's stroking the cat. 
You feel like she ought to be, you know, tapping her fingers together like so. Right, like Mr. Burns. Yeah. Um, she's got, like, her eyes are almost glowing in the darkness. Yeah. It's kind of Scrooge as well. You know, <laughs> darkness was cheap and Scrooge liked it. Yeah. And she's chilling. Again, this is, the performances in this are so good. And this is truly, truly chilling. Yeah, because she, the way she talks is not she doesn't yell at Cinderella. She doesn't be obviously right. angry. She's just, so because you obviously have too much time on your hands, you're going to do this and that and, you know, the thing, clean it, you know, that thing, fix it, you know. And she just gives her this long list of extra chores. Which again, like, is how a lot of abuse works, especially mm -hmm. when it's an abusive mother. It isn't as much yelling. It's like, I love you. That's why I'm doing this for you. Which she doesn't yeah, say. Right. But it is kind of that, like, you know. You have to learn. Oh, if you have yeah. all this time, yes, you have to be taught to behave. Unlike my two, you know, stepdaughters who are so perfectly behaved, even though they are. They are so awful. They are constantly... They're whiny, they fight with each other constantly, they are greedy and selfish. They also don't have any redeeming character qualities. They don't. There is an online term that has been getting a lot of traction because it applies to so much in our uh, nightmare world we live in, which <laughs> is large adult son. Right, people talk about like bad rich people and their large adult sons, right? Okay. Which is a common phenomenon of like the spoiled rich kid, like yeah. you know, I'm sorry to to bring him up, but like, you know, Don Jr. and Eric are like the, the quintessential large <laughs> adult sons. So these are the large adult daughters. That's exactly what these are. They are the exact <laughs> same thing where it's like, you know, spoiled annoying brat monsters of a rich person yeah. who do not have a single skill or knowledge of anything. <laughs> if their servant left them, they would simply perish. Like Lady <laughs> Tremaine is clearly, you know, an actual person. She had to work to get yeah, where she is. Yeah, she's presumably. intelligent. She seems. Right. Her daughters are just like worms. <laughs> that's, that's the idea of like the large adult son or the large adult daughter, I guess. <laughs> Yep. Now we have a brief aside where we go to the palace and the king is desperate for grandchildren. <laughs> I I love this guy, man. Oh, uh, the stuff with the king. king and the grand duke is very funny. <laughs> I mean, come on. You like that, right? <laughs> no, this is absolutely. This is what I'm saying. This is the comedy that works for me. He wants grandkids so bad. Yeah. <laughs> if he does not see a baby in the next month, he may die. He may physically pass away. Oh, you know it takes longer than one month, right, King? <laughs> he don't care. No, he do he is not demented. care. He is deranged. He is about to... I was saying that, like, if if this plan doesn't work out, he's gonna become the Baba Yaga. Like, he's gonna just kidnap babies. babies. <laughs> it's like, I no longer care. Yeah. Like, the prince is apparently coming home that day. I wrote down, from where? <laughs> I want to know. Inquiring minds. Was <laughs> he at college? <laughs> he was He was hanging out with his dear friend, I guess. <laughs> I guess. He's coming home from somewhere, so they're going to plan a ball for that very night because the king has no patience. <laughs> <laughs> the king is again... Truly lost his Can't mind. even be like, let's plan it for tomorrow. No, we're going to have to send out messengers with invitations for the ball today. Do all the prep work for the ball today. <laughs> Absolutely drunk with power. Yep. He's 
He's swimming across the table. It's a great character design to make him so short and fat. And he's like, just again, moving around the room like a madman. And of course, the Duke is tall and extremely skinny. And it has a monocle. A lot of monocle business. And he's he's talking about like, love is just a girl meeting the boy under the right conditions. So we're going to make the right conditions. It's like, like, I'm going to put a... Okay. Yep. <laughs> Which is, uh, I, I, I'm jumping ahead. I, I want to save the sequel talk for that part of the podcast. I do have to say, that is a huge missed opportunity, is both of those sequels make him a more serious character. Oh, man. Where he's, like, talking about, like, you know, this is how I felt about your mother, Prince, and, like, true love is so important to me. I, that's not who he is. He is a <laughs> lunatic. Who wants grandbabies now. <laughs> For whom love is only a tool to get a baby. <laughs> and it's so funny. It is. But yes, we have bald, and then we have Sing Sweet Nightingale. Yes. The stepmother is giving her daughters music lessons because, you know, she apparently hates herself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so terrible. I love how she's like, the pear-shaped tone. Yeah, at the beginning of that scene because she can actually sing oh man they cannot and because you know that's that's the problem with drizella is that she's not you know it's tone it's not like basic fundamentals <laughs> i mean there is some tone issues because very nasal <laughs> right it's like try singing through your mouth and not your nose first exactly. i don't even need you to hit the notes yet one thing at a time yeah. But I think this is my favorite sequence, both because I love the the stepdaughters mm-hmm. being horrible with their music lessons mm-hmm. is funny. I especially like Anastasia just completely failing on the flute. <laughs> and at the end, like hitting Drizella in the throat. <laughs> with the flute. But then also, I think this is a beautiful song and I love Cinderella singing. So like mm-hmm. the whole Sweet Nightingale sequence start to finish is my favorite yeah. scene because of course... Lucifer is like, I can't take this. <laughs> he yeah. walks out to where Cinderella is singing the same song, but she's singing it incredibly well. Yes. Uh, again, of course, they were obviously auditioning people who were singers first. Mm-hmm. And she scrubs and she makes the bubbles and it's so gorgeous. And she harmonizes with herself. And it's very surreal. It's a This is one of the more Snow White-ish sequences in that sense, because yeah. it's like the surreal bubble visuals and, you know, don't take this literally. Mm-hmm. Obviously, she can't actually be harmonizing with herself, <laughs> right. but we're setting a mood. Yes. But here's something I, I found out in my research is that this was one of the first times this had ever been done, that someone would be layered singing with themselves. Yeah, I found that out too. One of the first times vocal tracks were layered like this, and supposedly, again, Walt Disney is the one who said after she sang the song, hey, do you think you could do it again, but in harmony with yourself? She talks about how she was, you know, like scared. She was like, can you do that? <laughs> what <laughs> right. is this? Right. Which is now like, you know, it's something I did on I Coleman is doomed. Like yeah. it's it's you well, know, you, you used even to think do about it, it even but... when you would um record yourself playing your French horn, you would make do harmonies right. with yourself. It's just something anybody can do at home now, and this was so surprising and revolutionary. She's like, What? <laughs> you can do that? It's a thing? <laughs> but it is, you know, she's an amazing singer. It's an amazing oh, song. It's a beautiful song. Even though it's very simple and the lyrics are basically mm-hmm. meaningless it is so 
pretty. And, and I think that's why I wanted to do it for the first thing, because this just stuck out to me so much. Yeah. Yeah, and then we go back, business with flute. Unfortunately, while she was distracted and singing, Lucifer has made a gigantic mess of the room that she was trying to clean. And you really feel for Cinderella. Like, I mean, yeah. we've all had to, you know, we've all done errands that don't go well and they lead to more errands. Like, I don't know. It's There's something so relatable about it. And you're like, I want everyone tormenting Cinderella to be executed. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Because, and and she's not like, oh, Lucifer, you silly cat. She's like pained, you know? Right. She's Lucifer, like, this sucks. Oh, how could you? You mean old cat. Mm-hmm. You feel it with her. Yeah. And you're like, oh. Right. Even though they're not giving her as much character as other versions of the script might have, certainly as other versions of the story have, mm-hmm. you wouldn't follow her on this journey emotionally if she was like, oh, well, you know, all we have to do is like keep our chin up and whistle and it's okay if I have to scrub all the floors again. She's like, this sucks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I obviously wish this wasn't my life. (laughs) Exactly. Then we have an urgent message from the king delivered at the door. So Cinderella has to go interrupt the music lesson. The messenger unrolls the scroll and it just has the word babies scrolled on it. (laughs) No other text. Uh, No, of course a a ball is is happening. Yes. Every eligible maiden is to attend. Is required to attend by royal command. Yes. And they mock the very idea of Cinderella doing this. Yes. Their stepsisters are like, Oh, your highness, would you like to hold my broom? Because apparently she's too dumb to leave her broom at home. (laughs) I mean, the stepsisters are that dumb, so... (laughs) Right. And there is, like, the little detail of she interrupts the music lesson, and you can tell she is about to be in serious trouble. Yeah. It is distracted by the fact that, like, it is a ball. It is actually something important enough to be worth interrupting. Mm -hmm. But you can see how, again, this is, like, house of abuse. Right. You keep to yourself, and every interaction with your abusers is going to go badly for you. Yeah. But then, yeah, so, but the stepmother has an evil idea. Yes, she says, of course you can go to the ball if you get all of your chores done and you find something suitable to wear. And, of course, the stepsisters are like, what did you do? And she's like... I said, if. <laughs> yes, can you, can you like, even form two coherent thoughts, my right. failed daughters? Oh, man. She tries real hard with those girls, but uh, no impression is made. <laughs> so then the work song. Yeah. Cinderella gets out her mother's old dress, and she's like, oh, I'll do this here and make it all pretty. And because they're all, oh, Cinderella, it's old. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But then she gets called away and has to go back to work, do things for the stepsisters. And I'm sure she hasn't quite finished all of the chores she was given earlier. And uh, in fact, you might say that every time she find a minute, that's <laughs> the time that they begin it. Yes. Cinderella. Cinderella. Cinderella! Yes. And uh, this is this is always the song I think of first when I think of Cinderella. Yeah. I mean, because it is the one where they say her name a lot. Cinderella, Cinderella. Yeah, night and day it's Cinderella. Jock recognizes very quickly they're not actually going to let her go to the ball. And the others are like, what? And they're like, you'll see. They'll fix her. She's going to be stuck working and she won't get her dress done. What, the people who are nonstop evil are, they're not, like, this isn't, they haven't decided to be nice this one time? Right. Which, I mean, again, is like... Stockholm Syndrome, you Mm -hmm. know, again, it it is also a syndrome of abuse, as you believe, like, oh, but 
you know, this time, right. it'll be different. Yes. Cinderella has a lot of hope. It hasn't all quite been crushed out of her yet, but Jacques recognizes that it should probably have been. But one of the girl mice, apparently, according to the credits, her name is Perla, but they don't ever say her name in the movie, decides that they can do it. They can make the dress, they can fix it, and yep, the lovely dress will make for Cinderella. <laughs> so she sends Jacques and Gus to go get some trimmings. That's correct. Leave the sewing to, to the, the women. women. <laughs> yeah. Which, according to the Disney wiki, is a line said by a mouse named Mary, but I don't know. You know I believe what? you. I don't Who know. There's, knows there's, or cares? There are apparently at least three of the female mice have names. I saw. So then there's more mice business. There's a, you know, Jacques and Gus have to take bits from the other dresses. Yeah, the stepsisters are like, oh, I hate this bead necklace and this horrible sash. Why can't we have new things? And so they basically say, I never want to see these things again. Throw them down. Jacques and Gus are like, these will be perfect for Cinderella's dress. Yep. So they have to get them. And there's all kinds of silly business with Lucifer as they're trying to get the stuff. I think this scene is very funny. Apparently you do not agree. (laughs) I don't know. It's fine. This one always cracks me up. It's one of my favorite bits. What did weirdly crack me up is after it, when uh, we go back to the the work song Mm -hmm. and the dressmaking and all the girls are singing and then Jacques and Gus are like, cut, 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 cut. Yeah. (laughs) Just like interrupt with the scissors and are riding the scissors like a horse. Yeah. For some reason, that is a moment that's always stuck out to me. Yeah. They're just getting in the way. Now they're singing a dream is a wish your heart makes. Oh, that's They're doing a reprise of that. But it's still funny because the mice are singing it. But yeah, it's like cut, 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 cut as they cut along the lines. (laughs) It's funny also because, you know, they're making the marks and come along with the scissors and almost cut the one's tail. And yep. Although Jacques and Gus do seem pretty helpful for all the leave the sewing to the women. I know. And they do show other of the boy mice helping with the sewing, too. So I do like the sewing scene quite the where they're fixing up the dress quite a bit as well. It's a lot of fun. All the silly things that the birds and mice are having to do. I love when the mouse is threading the needle and she's holding the needle and licking the thread and like squinting with one eye as she very carefully aims and sticks her entire arm through the eye of the needle because it's so big. It's like, yep. I don't know, that one just cracks me up every right. time. It is just, it's great that they're using human sized sewing tools rather than like having mouse sewing tools. Yeah. It's just, it's always fun when you see a bunch of little people trying to do a big people thing, like Toy Story 2 driving the car. Yeah. Stuff like that yeah. just is always good to see in a movie. Yeah. And then uh, is a very, very powerful series of, you know, scenes. It's evening. We get this great shot of the castle at night and then of the cottage at night. Again, the beautiful backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And everyone else is going to the ball. But Cinderella, what I like is that she's clearly like she's facing away from them. She's got her eyes closed. She's saying, I'm afraid I like won't be able to attend. I forget exactly what she says. But the point is, she's very clearly not giving them the satisfaction of breaking. Right. She's like, I'm, I'm not going to the ball. I'm just not. I don't need to go. Even though she's like clearly very close to doing so. And they expect her to like is the most awful thing is like mm-hmm. the stepsisters like want her to cry. Yeah. Uh, but then. She has a dress, and all the mice have made this dress for her, and it's this beautiful triumphant moment, and Gus says, happy birthday. <laughs> he's doing his best. Yes, he's doing his best, but he's not very smart. He doesn't understand what's going on. He's only been sentient for hours, you know. Today <laughs> is like the first day of his life. <laughs> hey, Jacques Jacques, what is love? <laughs> anyway, so she, of course, gets dressed and ready to go and runs down. This is- 
this is where she makes her crucial error. It's true. She runs down just as the family is about to get in the carriage, expecting that since the stepmother said if she got her work done and had something to wear, she could go. So now Cinderella's like, yay, I do. I can go. The stepsisters, by the way, have, you know, 50 foot bustles. Oh, yes. Bustles are very prominent for them. More, more Disney butt gags. <laughs> yes. They, it makes them it makes them have um, epic flouncing. You know, yes. they they definitely flounce is definitely the word as they walk along. Right, they they're taking up all the space in the room. That's you know. Yeah. And then this is just harrowing mm-hmm. when they rip her dress to shreds. The way this is animated and even sound mixed. And the stepmother goads them on. Right. You know, she always seems so calm usually. And controlled. And what she does, though, is points out to her girls, oh, you see these things, these beads, they're just the right touch. And then the one stepsister recognizes, hey, those are mine. And the same with the sash. And they come and rip them off. And then they just rip everything apart on her dress. And then the stepmother's like, girls, calm down. We need to go. And they go. Right. It's like she she sicks her dogs Yes! Her. And Cinderella's just devastated. This is where she finally does. She runs out and she breaks down and cries. Which is the first time we've seen her not, like, be able to somewhat hold it together. Yeah. And she just weeps. She does. She runs out into the garden. She's crying on the bench. And you see all these sparkles in the air. And the animals are watching her all sad and, like... Wish there was something we could do. But they notice the sparkles, even though she doesn't because she's got her head down. The sparkles come together and the fairy godmother appears. Godmom status. Appeared. (laughs) I like the detail that when the godmother appears, at first it looks like Cinderella is crying on a bench, but it's a trick of perspective and she's actually crying on the godmother's lap. Yeah. You just couldn't see because she was invisible, which is a good visual way to be like, she's been with Cinderella always. <laughs> you know, yes. like, even when you think you're alone, this this force is here. Mm-hmm. Yep. She's just a really good visual. And again, you feel all of these emotions, even though, you know, if you just had described to me like, oh no, somebody like ruined your dress. Mm-hmm. Like, you feel how devastating that is. And it is a genuine emotional relief when the godmother shows up and she's a nice old lady, Mm -hmm. which is, uh, I'll look up who did this. This was some specific, I think, artist's idea when Walt's idea was to make her more of like a beautiful woman, maybe kind of like the blue fairy, you know, something like that. Tall and thin and regal and... Uh, that was called. That was Milt Call, the one of the nine old men. Well, and, the great and I animators. think it was definitely a good call <laughs> to yes. make her like a a comfy old grandma. Yes, that was his idea. Was to make her less dignified. Is kind of how he put it, rather than being this tall, regal, you know, like a Tolkien elf or something, where it's just like this untouchable, yeah. yeah, unapproachable, exactly. And part of that was apparently inspired by the casting of Verna Felton, who you know that's that's her vibe Mm -hmm. that's kind of the character she plays and i agree it's such a good idea i mean now we just think like oh of course that's what the fairy godmother is yeah but making her a short stout comfy grandma as you say it's just perfect it is 
Especially because the stepmother is, like, tall and icy. Yeah, and... you don't need the fairy godmother to be like the stepmother at all. And she's funny. She is funny. I love when she's looking for her wand. Now, where's that magic wand? And she's, like, shaking her dress in case it got stuck somewhere. And then she just, oh, yeah, I put it away. And she pulls it out of thin air. <laughs> Which is, again, it's like a good grandma bit. It is. It's a good, it's a good funny bit. You know that she does this every time, like, the kids get yes. together. Where are my glasses? Oh, yeah, they're on my head, you know? <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what it is. And she sings the Bibbidi Bobbidi Boo song, which is possibly the most famous song from this movie. Yeah. You forget how short it is. It's true. And a lot of it is kind of talking in between singing fragments. Yep. You know? And I think it's partially to the credit of Verna Felton's performance that she's here for such a short amount of time. And yet, like, when people think of Cinderella, they, they think, think of this. Yes, she is. She makes a big impression. Right. I thought about doing this for the opening song, too, by the way. Just, like, <laughs> adding the word, syllables pod and cast into the gibberish. Yes. This was one that I actually talked about with your dad. And we were, I was saying, you know, the syllables aren't right. How could you do a podcast with Bibbidi Bobbidi Boo? And of course, he came up with a way. Well, I'd just throw it in there. I'd just be like, Zalika Pod and Gobbidi Cast. <laughs> Bibbidi Bobbidi Cast. Like, I don't know. Yeah. And of course, the mice are turned into horsemen. The horse is turned into a coachman. Seems like you could have kept the horse a horse, but what do I know? <laughs> right. The pumpkin into a coach, the dog into a footman. Don't forget. Thank you. And Cinderella's uh, the whole time, busted up dress. The whole time, though, she's going, uh, am I dress? <laughs> I can't go to the ball like this in my shredded up dress. I'm wearing filthy rags and uh, my shoulders are visible. <laughs> yes. Finally, the fairy godmother also fixes her dress. Which was like Walt's favorite piece of animation ever, supposedly. Yeah, that I saw the that studio too. ever did. Which, again, is a thing I've seen people be like, it's not that good, like the dress transformation sequence, because it's rotoscoped. And it's like, yeah, whatever. How do you, you can't, you're not rotoscoping a dress transformation, because that's not a real thing you can do. They did rotoscope a lot of it. Yes. I I think it's her, like, lifting her arms in that, you know, very iconic way, like, with both dresses on and stuff. But here's the thing, like, it's a movie for kids, no kid, and probably very few adults like nobody's thinking about that while watching it like i bet this was traced i, I bet know. the artist didn't draw it like <laughs> from start to finish completely on the like shut up <laughs> that's not that's not what you're feeling in that moment. no it's it's a beautiful scene where she's literally transformed and her hair is done and she's just like amazed and again in the original movie it's a kind of silver white dress yes it's very um, silvery but- white they couldn't. They didn't want to sell merchandise that was that color because then it's like a wedding yeah, dress. Yeah, it looks too they, much like a wedding dress. They thought girls wouldn't want a wedding dress, so they <laughs> shows what they know. Yeah, I guess I don't know. Whenever Cinderella is portrayed in like the Disney princess line, or whenever you can buy like Cinderella dresses for little girls, they're always blue. Yep. Which is why in the restoration they made it blue. They literally changed the movie to fit the merchandise. I know. If you need a clearer illustration of modern Disney, I mean, I didn't think it looked terribly blue in what it we were watching. It doesn't look terrible, but no, I mean, still. I mean, extreme. I thought it definitely looked more silvery white than blue in what we were watching. I when I had read that it was going to be more blue, I thought it would be more than what it is. It's kind of maybe yeah. like barely bluish tint, but. Anyway, it's not important. 
It, in other scenes, it looks more blue. In the scene where she transforms into it, it definitely looks white to me. Yep. The fairy godmother does have one serious moment where she gets Cinderella's attention and says, it's really important. The magic is only going to last until the stroke of 12. <laughs> and she specifically says, I think Cinderella says, this is a dream come true. And she says, like all dreams, you have to wake up. Mm-hmm. Keeping the dream motif, you yeah. know, actually trying to say something. Again, I feel like this is just evocative kind of dialogue and very thematic mm-hmm. stuff that you don't see as much in modern Disney movies. I'm not here to be like, all modern Disney movies are bad. <laughs> but this is a different feeling. Yes. The different style of movie storytelling. Yep. I think it's nice that Cinderella, she just wants to go have an adventure. It's not even that she's going trying to find true love. She just wants to get out of the exactly. house. Exactly. She wants to wear a pretty dress and go to the ball. Yes. <laughs> she just wants to go away. She wants to go to a party. She wants to get hors d'oeuvres. She wants to like, I don't know, get some punch. Yeah. Which is, yeah, I like that too. So she gets in her pumpkin carriage and rides off. It's glowing. It lights up the town as it goes past buildings. Yeah. It's funny. And it kind of floats almost too. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. So she arrives at the ball and goes in and... And we get more king business. Yes. And also the Duke talking about... I just loved this phrase saying that this whole endeavor was foredoomed for failure. <laughs> this is the first time you ever get to see the prince that we've heard so much about. And even though he has almost nothing going on in the movie, you get a little bit of personality here when he's standing there and all the women are bowing to him and and curtsying to him and he's bowing back. He looks up at his father on the balcony and rolls his eyes and yawns at him. (laughs) Yes, he's being very uncooperative. Yes, he's like, I know what you're doing, father. Right, you know, the dad's upset. And the Duke is like, oh, what did you think was going to happen? That someone would just... And of course, he describes... He describes exactly what's happening. That the prince will Look up. And the king is like... The king is watching. Hungry. (laughs) He's like... and And he's like, the waltz! Quick, the waltz! Which I just love this idea of like... There might be romance happening quick. Right. Like, again, it's just his whole theory of like, you can force yes. romance to happen if you just put all the pieces As in soon place. as there's any sign of potential interest from the prince, the lights are dimmed, the waltz is played, and the king is like freaking out about it. He's like practically falling off the balcony. The Grand Duke has to catch him yes. as he's signaling the musicians. So funny. I have tired myself out being a lunatic today. I have to go to sleep. You take care of this, Duke. If not, you are dead. I will, literally, I will kill you if we're not, if there is not a proposal tonight. Tonight. Oh. Um, And also. (laughs) So this is love. This is love. (laughs) But of course, we get to midnight. Uh, Cinderella has to run. Loses her slipper. But she doesn't even know he's the prince because that's the excuse she gives when she has to leave. Oh, I haven't met the prince yet. And he's like, but don't you know? And she's like, bye. It's just like, Cindy, how did you not? (laughs) He's standing there. Everybody's looking at... We should also note the stepdaughters and uh, the stepmother, of course, are there. The Tremaines. Mm -hmm. And Lady Tremaine, she looks a little suspicious. She's like, there's something familiar. Yep, but the Grand Duke, of course, is like... Uh, nobody disturbs the prince while he's potentially having a romance. <laughs> right, and the stepdaughters are uh, just, you know, totally deranged. Yeah. 
So she's fleeing. The extent of their relationship is this one dance where they didn't even really talk. Though they sing the So This Is Love song, it's kind of like it's going on in their heads, not Mm -hmm. to each other. (laughs) Yep. Cinderella, of course, loses her slipper on the stairs because that's what she do. But she can't go back and get it because there's no time. She has to keep going. As they're riding away in the carriage, the final stroke of 12 hits. Everything turns back to normal. They all scurry off the road because the guards are chasing them. Mm-hmm. And the pumpkin gets run over. <laughs> hey, Cinderella, you have a horse. It's time <laughs> to go. Yep. I mean, he is kind of a plow horse, but yeah. Still, it there's guts to be a hotel around here. I'm or sure something. she just goes back. Oh, I see what you're saying. Don't go home. Go that's, somewhere Yes, else. what I'm saying is do not go back but of course, that's not how it works. That's that's not how it ever works. Nope. She goes back home and she realizes she still has a glass slipper, one remaining. She thanks the fairy godmother, even though, you know, she's not visible, for a wonderful night. And she doesn't even seem to wish for anything more to come of it. She's happy she had her one evening of magic and she goes yes. back home to be a slave again. Yep. Yeah. So then we have... Some great business when the Grand Duke goes to tell the king the news that she got away. And the king is extremely angry. There's all kinds of crazy business where he's trying to kill the Grand Duke with a sword. Right. I, I just love him going, you traitor! Yeah. It, you know, it's it's like that scene in Force Awakens. Traitor! Spin, 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 spin. Right. They end up on the chandelier. The Grand Duke tells the king that the prince has sworn he will marry the girl who fits the slipper. And the king's like, ha we've got him. And then when the... We get a goofy scream. We do get a goofy scream here when he makes the chandelier fall down. I presume from the Grand Duke. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the king cares enough yeah. to scream. We did forget to mention, by the way, the king's uh, dream oh, yeah. of grandchildren, kids, which is a really important part because, again, it, he is just insane. He's just a total loon. Yeah. All he thinks about is babies. Yes. Maybe he should have had some more of his own. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We don't know prince mom status. I- I'm assuming prince mom status is also dead since... There's absolutely no reference to her. And you do feel like if she had lived, there'd have been more kids. <laughs> as much as the king loves kids. <laughs> right, well, I mean, again, his his initial thing is like, I was so happy when I had the prince. And then he grew up and was no longer a child. Now I need more children. So I just like the idea that he would be like, all right, wife, every 20 years. <laughs> and we haven't, we've kind of danced around it, but we should stay straight up. Like, it's... It's Prince Nobody. It is. Total characterless. And that is one of the flaws of this movie. Yeah, they call him Prince Charming in like, when you go on IMDb and look at his name in the credits, but he's not called anything except The Prince. And he has no personality. We don't know why he falls in love with Cinderella, which again, it works if it's just like, this movie is Cinderella's dream. Yeah. But you know. Yep. So of course, the Grand Duke is then forced to go out with the glass slipper and try it on everyone. There's a proclamation. The stepmother finds out about it and wakes up her daughters the next morning very early. You have to get ready. The Grand Duke is coming. You have to fit the slipper. Then you can marry the prince. That's all you got to do. And so, of course, they get dressed and Cinderella hears the news about the prince looking for the girl with the glass slipper. And that's the first time she realizes that she was dancing with the prince. Yep. 
And this is where, there's a, somewhere around here, there's this really subtly cruel detail where the stepmother is talking to Cinderella about my daughters. Um, so, you know, she's only referring to the other two as yeah. her daughters, which, you know, of course they're her only biological children, but it is like, just these subtle touches to, to yeah. like, show you how evil she is and stuff like that. Yep. The you are other kind of thing separating you from the family. Yeah. So then when she, Cinderella hears about how the Grand Duke is coming to try on the glass slipper, Cinderella kind of gets lost in her uh, in the dream again. And she wanders off, even though everybody's telling her, I need you to do this, that or the other. And they're like, what in the world is wrong with Cinderella? And the her stepmother follows her and hears her humming the tune of the waltz from the night before. And then she knows Cinderella was the mystery girl. So she follows her up to her room and locks her in. I do like this last movement. Um, I wish that Cinderella was able to escape under her own recognizance. Yeah. But the stepmother being, you know, knowing that it's her Mm -hmm. is this good extra detail that makes her a more compelling and scary villain. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that there is an escape is fun it's like a good last act yep they do make this part additional trouble she thinks that there's no way she's going to be able to get out and she's like no you can't you can't do this to me which it's like um cinderella she's been doing all this to you the whole time (laughs) right anyway so jock and gus of course go to get the key because they have to get cinderella out there's all kinds of funny business with the grand duke being exhausted because he's been doing this all night He's got a footman with him who looks straight out of Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> I know. I'm betting the same animator worked on him as is going to work on like Tweedledum and Tweedledee. <laughs> they could even be reusing certain pieces of animation. <laughs> possible. This is Disney. But yeah, he's very goofy. Yep. So they have to try the slipper on the two stepsisters and it gets to take a long time because the Grand Duke kind of dozes off sometimes. Yes, I love that he's exhausted and that, like, he's sick of it. Like, we've seen him as, you know, the goofy sycophant, but it's like, oh, right, to everyone else, this is a figure of massive authority. Right. Like, this guy could order you killed. Right. You honor our humble home. And he's like, yes, I do. (laughs) Yes, it's just interesting to see, you know, a character's low status in one situation being high status in another. Yeah. That's why there's plenty of time for Jock and Gus to slowly take the key up the main stairs. They get to the right. bottom of the tower stairs. Gus almost has a heart attack looking at those. They keep going up the stairs just as they get to the top. And they're about to take the key into Cinderella. Who should it be but Lucifer? Captures Gus and the key in a cup again. <laughs> at the top and of the stairs. And it's a genuinely good action scene. Mm-hmm. Cinderella finally says, get Bruno. It's time to kill the cat. Exactly. I'm okay with murder now. Let's make it happen. And Lucifer actually falls out the tower window and seemingly dies. (laughs) Right. Which every subsequent spinoff and sequel has been like, no, he didn't. Yeah, I know. Of course. But he falls out the window and you just see him falling and screaming the whole way down. You don't see him hit. Uh, So... But uh And you know, yeah. I'm I'm kind of okay with us killing the cat in this movie. <laughs> I mean, one of the villains has to get their comeuppance. Of course, Cinderella gets out of her room, races down the stairs, calls out, Your Grace, 
may I try on the slipper? And of course he says, yes. Part of this scene, I had seen so many times on things. The part where she's like, your grace, may I try it on? And he's like, yes. And then he tries the slipper on her. Ta-da, it's her. But there are other bits in here. (laughs) And so the first time I watched this movie, and there's the scene where the stepmother actually trips the footman, he falls, the glass slipper flies in the air and then breaks. That was never in these, you know, these bits I had seen, right? So I didn't know that was going to happen. And I was shocked the first time it happened (laughs) because I just was like, what? I thought she tries on the slipper. (laughs) But of course, she pulls it out of her pocket, the other slipper. And sure enough, it fits. What a surprise. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Which, again, is another good little, like, I like the extra step of it. Of Obviously, you know how the Cinderella story ends, but we are adding this extra tension into it. It's a little extra surprise that you might not expect. Again, I don't love that the mice kind of save her and Mm -hmm. everything. But I do feel like, I suppose you can frame it as, I was kind of, as I was finishing up my notes here, I wrote, her kindness to the littlest creatures is repaid. Yeah. That's the most generous reading of it is like, well, she was kind... And so that kindness is returned. And so that's like the good thing she does that helps her escape. And that's a common thing in fairy tales where if you're kind to some creature, later that creature and that creature's friends help you out of a jam you couldn't get out of on your own. It's a a common like human belief, whether it's karma or, you know, the Judeo-Christian idea of like, if you are a good person, you get good stuff after you die Mm -hmm. and vice versa. So yeah, of course, it's it's this fundamental idea that we kind of have to believe to be human (laughs) yeah once once the slipper fits i do like that the movie just ends with the exception of you kind of need something to happen to the stepmother and stepsisters i'm not saying we actually need to see them executed (laughs) but some kind of what's happened to their life afterwards yeah whether it's exile or now you see the stepsisters wearing servant clothes and having to clean and cook or whatever you know to me, that's a, a pretty fitting punishment is that, that they now have to work and serve right. after having forced her to be a servant. Well, hey, <laughs> you know, funny you should mention that because that is the sort of thing that could be covered in sequels. Spin-offs. Spin-offs, remakes, remakes, remakes rides. I was trying to say it with All you. Right. I was trying to say it with you. I thought you were just trying to cut me off in no. case I messed up again. No, I was trying to say it with you. So this recording has already gone very long and there are obviously 700,000 spinoffs so <laughs> feel free to talk about your favorites uh obviously this is all over the parks i mean there's the cinderella castle at walt disney world you know you can always cinderella is one of the princesses of course that you can meet at the parks she's in all the disney princess like merchandise line of course right, she remains right. one of the most popular characters Cinderella's in the Once Upon a Time TV series that we mentioned before. She's also in the House of Mouse and many of the other characters are like, obviously, all of this, all of this, all of this. Right. There is a Delarm. Yes, in 2015. For those who are new, a Disney live action animated remake, which are the horrible, unwatchable shot for shot remakes that suck all the life and joy out of old Disney movies. Extremely mediocre. Okay, this movie is not as bad as some of them. It's, it's not. It's only an hour and six minutes. Yeah. Like, not in terms of length. Some of them are like, we're telling the exact same story, but for some reason we've added an hour. Like, <laughs> Dumbo. Yeah. The the best part about the Delarm is Elena Bottom Carter as the fairy godmother. Yeah, that sounds fun. 
I've never seen it. I will never see it. That's one of the few I have seen. I gave it a try. It's just not very good. They they hammer home this whole thing about how she has to be kind and brave or have courage and be kind or something over and over and over. It's just not that great. And I have some special annoyance for this one because this was kind of the proof of concept. When they started announcing these Delarms, they did Maleficent, which was actually different. Mm -hmm. And it was not that big a hit. And there's also like some other stuff like the Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland that wasn't really part of this strategy. But it's this one specifically, which was a huge, 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 huge hit. Kenneth Branagh's highest grossing movie, even after Thor. And I think like the highest grossing or one of the highest grossing movies of its year. Where they're like, oh, okay, we are going to literally throw away our entire live action film strategy. We are just going to do these awful remakes We're not going to try to make them interesting. We're not trying to make other interesting movies. It was the one-two punch of, in 2015, Tomorrowland, which is a movie I love, that was trying to be weird and different, fails, and Cinderella is a huge hit, and they're like, great, we're never going to make an interesting movie again. We're the Disney company. So I, in addition to its actual, like, qualities as a film, I have some extra disdain for it. Yeah. For that. I wish that it had made no money. So they'd make more movies like Tomorrowland. We'll talk about it later. I am saving, I am saving, like, my, my real rant about the Delarms for the worst one. Alrighty. Which we'll get to eventually. (laughs) But there were also, what interested me, the thing I really honed in on, (laughs) there were two sequels. Two direct-to-video sequels released in the early 2000s, because the 90s and 2000s were where Katzenberg and Eisner were doing this. They were like, we have to have these terrible sequels and milk these properties for all they're worth. This was their equivalent of the Delarm. Even they didn't have the idea of, we should just release the same movie again, but worse. (laughs) Yes, they at least did try, presumably, to do sequels or prequels, or in the case of the Beauty and the Beast one, a midquel. Yes, I forgot about that one, but yes, indeed. One of the few I've actually watched. I have also, I watched that one as a kid for some reason. (laughs) Uh, So there are two Cinderella sequels. There's Cinderella 2, Dreams Come True. I tried watching both of these. (laughs) They have pretty good voice casts, like Jennifer Hale takes over as Cinderella. Rob Paulson is Jacques and like 20 other characters. (laughs) Corey Burton is Gus. Frank Welker is Lucifer. Tress McNeil is Anastasia. In both of these movies have the same casts. Mm -hmm. Like they have good voice actor casts. Maybe not as good as the original. Hard to say. It's it's not really their fault. It's not as good a script as the original. Definitely, I'm sure. Cinderella 2 is trash. (laughs) It's unwatchable. I could not get through it. It is... the, The premise is so sweaty, too. The idea is that, like... The fairy godmother is writing the story of Cinderella, and uh-huh. she's like, it's the end. Uh-huh. And Gus and Jacques are like, but that's not the end of the story. We've, like, continued living our lives since <laughs> then. We should write what else has happened. And the fairy godmother is like, yeah, you, the mice, should write a book. And that's the structure for this movie, I guess, <laughs> she says. Is that anything? Yeah. So it's these three different stories that are all terrible. There is speculation that they were going to do a Cinderella TV show, and when that didn't work, they took three of the episodes and taped them together. <laughs> this isn't confirmed, but like they did this for other things, yes. like one of the Beauty and the Beast things, and the one I always remember, because for some reason I've seen this multiple times, is the Atlantis sequel, which was literally that. It was literally <laughs> they took three episodes of the failed TV show and tried to pretend it was a movie. Yeah. 
this feels like the same thing, whether or not it actually is. Uh-huh. All three stories are terrible. <laughs> it's trash. It's tr- Again, I couldn't even... I got so not far into this, and I was like, no. <laughs> not worth your time, huh? I'm trying to read these now. The first one is, like, something with Bruno. The second one is Jacques t- is turned into a human. What? And the third one is Anastasia falls in love with a baker. Who, literally, who cares? <laughs> It's best to just think of this one as the mice write terrible fan fiction about their own <laughs> lives. But Cinderella 3, yes. A Twist in Time. I read the premise for this and I immediately said to mom, don't look this up. Don't look this up. This is insane and I have to watch it. Uh, yep. Because the premise of Cinderella 3, A Twist in Time is basically, what if Back to the Future 2, <laughs> but with 1950s Cinderella? <laughs> And who goes back in time? So what happens here, it's the same cast, so it's pretty good. This one, A, it actually has original songs. Uh-huh. B, the animators were actually given original like stills and animation sequences from the first movie to work off of. Mm-hmm. So it's obviously very cheap, but it doesn't look completely horrible. <laughs> it has some songs that are pretty good. I mean, again... It's not a great movie by any measure. It's not even really a good one, but mm. it is kind of good. Yeah. It's better than it should be. Anyway, the, the idea is, obviously, everyone's living their happily ever after. Anastasia and Drizella are doing Cinderella's old chores. Like, Lady Tremaine has just turned them into her servants <laughs> instead, basically. So it's exactly what you were talking about. And they're like, you know, how did Cinderella, like, get all this success? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Mm. Like, how did she get there? Why did she have glass slippers? Why any of this? And then Anastasia finds out about the fairy godmother and manages to steal her wand. (laughs) And using this, they travel back to undo the events of the first movie. Yeah. First of all, they immediately turn the fairy godmother into stone. That's the five minute mark. Kill the fairy godmother on screen. Dang. Then they travel back in time. She magically makes the slipper way bigger so it fits on Anastasia's foot. <laughs> and now Anastasia gets to live the happily ever after. Uh-huh. And Cinderella is like cast out and exiled. Mm-hmm. And it's, again, this movie is cheap. Some of the voice acting is really bad. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's a bizarre idea that completely misses the point of everything people like about the first movie. <laughs> like, obviously, none of the thematic depth, none of the dreamlike, you know, visuals none of the emotion none of that yeah but it's kind of fun it's more of a comedy it has some actually good jokes and the really interesting decision is anastasia is very much the main character of this movie Hmm. the whole arc of this movie is she gets everything she's ever wanted but she has to like live a lie for it and she slowly realizes how horrible she's been to cinderella but also how horrible her stepmother is to her (laughs) that like Even Anastasia and Drizella haven't had, like, a proper loving mother. No, they have not. It culminates in, like, these big action sequences. There's some (laughs) actually good ideas here with, like, the stepmother having the wand. So there's... She traps Cinderella in, like, a pumpkin prison. (laughs) And so it's, like, this evil version of the pumpkin carriage sequence. And she turns Lucifer into, like, the guard of it. So we get (laughs) Lucifer human version. Yeah. Like, there's... The people making this movie at least cared. They cared at all. They had (laughs) ideas. And the ending is like, 
Cinderella and Anastasia realizing that like they need to you know work together and they can build the loving family relationship <laughs> they never actually had. Tress McNeil again is Anastasia and she plays like Dot and Animaniac. She's mm-hmm, a very yeah. well renowned voice actress, so she really does a great job in this lead role. It's I mean, I can't really say you should watch it. It's like Bambi 2 where I'm like, if you feel the urge to watch these, this one is shockingly good. <laughs> but it obviously still is, you know, bad in the way all these things were bad. Right. But it's it's interesting. 75% on Rotten Tomatoes, wow. by the way. Cinderella 3. <laughs> if you can believe it. That is hard to believe. Even from what you've described of the story, it does not sound good. Yes, and it's uh, and it's based on Twice Charmed, an original twist on the Cinderella story, mm. which was a musical for the Disney Cruise Line. <laughs> a, a stage show on the cruise ships was the inspiration for this film. <laughs> I suppose it's time for us to evaluate the movie, which we do not with a numerical rating system, which are for chumps, <laughs> but we do by asking each other two questions. The first of which is, would you recommend this movie? Yes, I would recommend this movie. <laughs> oh, imagine that. <laughs> yeah, me too. Obviously, totally holds up. A great little emotional experience. Not the, you know, deepest story ever, but yeah. how can you not be charmed and won over by it? Yeah. And would you show this movie to a child? Yeah. Yeah. And I did show it to you guys when you were children. Here's one thing about it. Even though, especially as an adult, you can see the evil of Lady Tremaine more. She's not the sort of overt evil that a child is going to necessarily have nightmares about. Exactly. The one sequence that could be genuinely scary is, again, I, I the, the part that's harrowing is them, like, ripping up the dress, and it's kind of immediately deflated. Yeah. I could see that being the kind of thing where a kid's getting pretty upset, but you're like, wait, literally 60 seconds. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> and nice grandma will, will take care of this She'll make it you. all better. And sing a goofy song. Yeah. Again, it's just... It's so well paced. It is. It's so well structured in that way. Like the best of the golden era. Yeah, it's a it's a very good start to the silver era. Nice to have, as we said, a full-length movie again. <laughs> and a well-done yeah. full-length movie. Yep. This is this is far from my favorite of the silver era, but it's definitely better than anything in the wartime yeah. era. And it's it was a it was a treat to rewatch. Yep. So we'll be back next week with 1951's Alice in Wonderland, released the next year. As we said, obviously, they were working on it concurrently. Mom, what do you think of that? Uh, It's a weird journey to a strange land. (laughs) Indeed it is. So until next time, I'm me. I'm Mom. And it all started with a mouse. Zook, zook. (laughs) Zook, zook.